people in our churches really need um, confidence in their confession and profession of the authority of the Word of God and the centrality of Christ. And, 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 and we need to preach that over and over and over again so that as the culture imposes itself on us Monday through Saturday, uh, we recognize again on Sunday, oh, this is where I stand. This is what I believe. This is what I confess. There's no other place to be. Hi, welcome to the Gary Wilson Podcast. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. I hope you watched our last episode. We have with us once again today Dr. Uh, K. Scott Oliphant. He is a professor of uh, apologetics at Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, true man of God. I just uh, enjoyed our last conversations. Uh, so, so rich. Uh, in this one, we're going to get into some very th- important things that uh, I, I know you're going to want to listen to because if you do, at the end of it, you're going to feel like you grew spiritually, grew emotionally, and even grew intellectually. We're going to be challenging each of us to to take a look at some of the things in our own heart where we can grow a little bit more deep. Uh, we're going to look at culture and how it pulls us away from that. We're going to look at how uh, the, the the preaching of the gospel or the evangelization of the lost. Uh, where do we start? Do we start with the cultural issues or do we trust the word of God? Uh, I'm interviewing a man here that has a confidence in the word of God, and I'm thrilled to share him with you today. Enjoy this episode. Hi, we're back with Dr. Oliphant. Hope you watched last episode. Uh, we're talking about covenantal uh, apologetics, but also just uh, uh, you'll hear from him today about his heart for people, how to be relational, how to how to care for a, a culture that is in need. We talked in the last episode about being, we're in one or two places, either in Adam or in Christ. And our, our, the task at hand through the Great Commission is to bring people out of that Adamic sin fallen nature under the wrath of God into a relationship with Christ. So thank you for being back with us. Appreciate it, Dr. Oliphant. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. When we were here, when we talked last time, uh, you, you went into Romans, uh, man being under the wrath of God. Uh, you know, three times it says in that chapter there, there, God gave them over. You know, And I don't know if, you may have a take on this, I don't know if that's three different events or if it's sequential, like first they were given over to lust, and then they were given over to uh, more of a homosexual type lust, then they were given over to a depraved mind. Um, I could see it either way. I could see that being three different things that happened randomly, or I could see it also sequentially, like a culture like in America, it went from a sexual revolution, then to like a more of a homosexual revolution, and to now, I'd say that, you know, even a third level of, you know, into a depraved mind where we're where we're thinking, uh, you know, what is a woman? Can a, can a man give a, have a baby? Uh, you know, to me, that's that's a depravity that's far worse maybe than even what we faced in the 60s here in, you know, in the sexual revolution in America. So whether it's, whether it's sequential or uh, just random different types of events for different people, we do find ourselves in our culture today uh, really under that Romans, you know, one, two, and three passages there. And, and um and so the church's response to that um, is is um, how. Uh, first question would be: How are we doing? You know, you're training a lot of uh, young leaders to go out into culture and speak the truth in love, um, but we see a spiritual declension in culture. We see a church declining. How are we doing at apologetics to turn the tide? What, what's your take on that? 
Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, it, it all depends on who we is, uh, doesn't it? And um, what what I think we're what I think we're used to seeing. If I could just make this a, a kind of general point, we're used to seeing the the pressures of any culture um, sort of press in on the church uh, throughout church history, and we see um, areas where the church succumbs to those pressures. Uh, so the reason that I'm at Westminster is because Westminster exists because Princeton gave in to the pressures. Um, old Princeton became New Princeton, and New Princeton no longer wanted to affirm the absolute authority of Scripture and everything that flows from that, uh, because um, it, it deemed so many uh, in the church during that time deemed those things to be irrelevant. So that's once once you once you let culture define what is relevant, you've lost and um and you're and you're going to quickly lose the Bible. Uh there's nothing more relevant to any human being than the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing more relevant because as we were saying in the in the last every person knows this God they know themselves to be sinners before this God, to be his creatures, and um, they know they need salvation. Now they're holding it down. They're suppressing it. Uh, they, we become experts in Adam of covering all of that up, but the knowledge never goes away. God won't allow it to be erased. So so we see today um, churches that succumb to the pressures of the gay movement um, of the gender movement, transgender movement, um, and and that I think that is is to be lamented and expected. And and what we what we have to do then is is set again our eyes on what God has said and recognize that this is really and truly what people need, not what they in the first place say that they need. So. So Paul's in Paul's discussion, if I could just go back to this for a minute in, in Romans 1, Paul has, as he begins uh, Romans 1, 18, he's thinking back to Genesis chapters 1 to 3. He's thinking back to what is the image of God and what happened to it because sin entered into the world. Uh, the image of God remains in such a way that we know God, we know the true and triune God truly, we know him because God makes himself known through everything that's made, including external and also Romans 2 uh, in our hearts. So we, we are knowers of God who hold down the knowledge of God and suppress it and will not have it. Part of that suppression, um, Paul wants us to recognize, verses 24, 26, 28, as you just said, part, part of that uh, has to do with God's response, which is giving people over. In other words, God is saying, if this is what you really want, I'll give it to you in spades. You really want your sin? You want your sin to take its natural course? I'll give it over. Instead of his restraining mercy on people, which God does do in history, he restrains sin. He doesn't restrain it all in the same way with every person. And so there are situations in which, by which, God will then give people over. 
And the first example that, that the apostle gives to us is the example of homosexuality. Now, why does he do that? <clears throat> because he's thinking about Genesis 1 to 3. He's thinking about God's good order of creation, the, ma- the, the man and, and the woman from the man, and that's God's order of creation, both made in the image of God, male and female. If you hold God, the knowledge of God down and you suppress it, the Lord says, then, then I will give you over to that sin such that you will violate the most common ordinary things in creation at the beginning when God made man male and female. You will violate that and you will move to that which is um, utterly unnatural, as Paul puts it. So it's not just it's not just that you're having um, sort of generic problems uh, with sin. Uh, let's say you're just uh, having problems of lust, but your lust problems will turn to be unnatural. That is against the order of creation. Now, here, here's here's a point I think it's important to make. If evolutionary theory is true, then that's okay. Uh, it's all right for a male to love a male, female to love a female. It's all right for a male to love four males or males and females, uh, transgender. All of that is okay because all of it's utterly irrational. None of it makes sense. But nobody can really live that way, which is one reason why there are many feminists who are very upset at the transgender movement because they say, you can't do that. You don't have a right to this. You haven't earned it. So, So you've got that conflict going on, and that's just going to happen. Um, when when the Supreme Court said it, it's okay for for males to marry males and females to marry females, what they neglected to say but should have said is that and you, and this can be two or twelve or or twenty two. There's no reason for marriage to be two. The only reason for that is because God has made it that way, and the Supreme Court hasn't gone that far yet. Um, so they're they're inconsistent with themselves. They open the floodgates, but not as widely as they could have. So. I think what uh, what we have to, to to recognize as the culture presses in on us is that there is nothing uh, more relevant in the culture today uh, than that people recognize that God made man male and female and made one for the other and did not make them homo, but made them hetero. And that's his design for creation. And outside of that design, we're not what we are meant to be. That's point one. Point two uh, I would say, if I could, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the wonderful book by Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, uh, what is it? Something of an unlikely convert. Um, reflections or something like that of an unlikely convert. Um, just an absolutely um, excellent book uh, from a woman who was a, a college professor, PhD, teaching English and in charge of, of the gay movement in her University before Obergefell and and uh, was converted. Now, how was she? How was she converted? Well, the Lord converted her, but the Lord used a pastor who cared about her, even in her state of being a lesbian, cared about her, and eventually uh, the Word of God. As you read the, her reflections in that book, the Word of God just started imposing itself on her. She could not run from it. The the, the Lord changed her heart in that particular way. And I think that tells us that in our churches and in our ministries, we're meant to love these people um, without in any way condoning what they're doing, just like we do with other sinners. We, we, cannot, we cannot get into a spirit of hate 
with with any of these people who oppose Christ because we're meant to reflect the love of Christ. And that's a that's a difficult thing. It can only be done uh, by the Holy Spirit in our lives. But Francis Schaeffer used to say, this is the final apologetic. Um, are we are we loving each other? Are, are we showing that to each other? And, and this is another place where I think the culture is imposing itself on the church because we've got people in the church uh, fighting bitterly uh, against Christians as if Christians are the real enemy in the world. And that's just a tragedy and a travesty, I think. I think it's very wise what you're talking about, taking Romans back to Genesis 1, because that, that you know, our, our true identity in in the Romans passage of, of uh, you know, not suppress, if we're not suppressing the truth, then we know we're made in the image of God. And when we're made in the image of God, there are certain ramifications for that. You know, what God says goes. So if he says marriage is between one man and one woman, then that's that's that becomes our identity. Even if even if our preferences or our lusts may go elsewhere, there's at least a, like a magnet pulling us. I, I want to go to the identity that God created us in. And I think in 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 much ministry today, we're we're making the battle about like sexual preference, like oh you you prefer a man to be with a man or a woman with a woman or to be a transgender, and and allowing the conversation to be about the identity. Uh, your identity is gay. Your identity is transgender. Your identity is your pronouns are this or that, uh, and we're making it about preferences rather than. I think the real question is identity is is you know can can we get it back to the bible and say you know, do you understand your identity as a child you know you you're you're created in the image of god and and that image is is different than you know you see what i'm saying your preference changes from yeah. my sexual preference is what i create my whole identity wrapped around this is who i am and so so if you don't bake a cake for me that offends me or if you don't use my pronouns that offends me well then the reality is you're probably not rooting your identity in your creator uh, and, you're, and you're missing out on that. Yeah, absolutely right. And, you know, for, for Christians, we recognize, don't we, that the reason we're called Christians is because we're in Christ. And, and our, our basic identity now and into eternity future is that we're united to Christ, that, that we have this spirit wrought faith that has united us to the Lord Jesus himself so that we are dead to our sins. We are alive to Christ because of his death and resurrection. We died to sin. It no longer has dominion over us. Uh, sin remains, but it doesn't reign in us. And at the same time, we're alive by virtue of the resurrection of Christ. And that's who we are in Christ. And so if we are in Christ, then then like Christ, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're meant to do because we're united to him. We'll be united to him from this point to eternity future in the new heavens and new earth. And so we shouldn't argue and and and, and create new identities that are temporal, that even have uh, sinful propensities attached to them when God has given us the most glorious identity we could ever have, and that is that we are Christians, we are in Christ. And, and that's, again, the covenantal context in which you and I are meant to operate. We're in Christ, and we need to help people see that their intent as well, in terms of their creator, is to be in Christ and no longer in Adam, to be transferred from kingdom of darkness to kingdom of light, which the Spirit of God does by the Word of God. That's what we do in apologetics. That's what we do in evangelism. As I hear you talk in the last episode in this one, I'm sure you've heard this before, but you know, I know you're a professor 
you're a scholar, you're a writer, uh, but it really sounds like you're an evangelist as well. You, I, I think you've shared the gospel like three times in the last uh, bit of time we've been together. That is that part of your heart? Are you, at your heart, are you an evangelist? Well, maybe so. I, you know, I hope so. I, it's uh, one of the things I've, I've tried to do throughout my career is to help people understand that apologetics is centrally and intrinsically a biblical discipline that has the Lord Jesus as its focus. And and if that's what apologetics is, that's what evangelism is, that's what preaching is, then we're all trying to do the same thing and help people understand that we're not, you know, I'm not out to win an intellectual battle. I'm not out to, to beat up somebody intellectually and say, boy, I really, I really took care of them. They, they couldn't answer that question. I'm instead wishing, hoping, praying that people will recognize their own need for Christ, as I did one day back when I was 18 years old. And in doing that, then uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and you will be saved. That has to be uh, the focus of our apologetics. So we're really wasting our time. I say it sort of provocatively to, to students sometimes. I say, you know, apologetics is not about turning atheists into theists, because theists go to the same place atheists go to when they die. They're all in the same uh, basket there. Uh, it's Christian theists that we want uh, to, to, to make through the work of the Spirit, by the communication of the truth of God. So, so if, that's not going to happen until and unless we help people understand who Jesus is. And that's why I think an important question is, you know, Jesus, great question, um, to uh, Peter, Caesarea Philippi, who do you say that I am? That's a good question to ask people. Probably not the first question, maybe after a long conversation, but it's worth asking, who, who do you say Jesus is? What do you do with Jesus himself? And, that, and, and they can say, not interested, don't want to think about that. That's a good opportunity for us to say, well, here's why it might be of interest to you. Let's just let's just talk about who Jesus is and what he did. Um, that's always a good entree, I think. Um, and, and, you know, some people say, I have no interest. Don't talk to me about that. Well, the, the man that used to teach apologetics at Westminster, who, who started apologetics at Westminster, um, he used to say, if that's the response you get, say, okay, that's fine. Let's go get a cup of coffee. We'll talk about something else. And eventually, you'll get back onto the topic again. So it's, you know, it's a process uh, oftentimes of, of dealing with people. Yeah, it is. We have a lot of uh, pastors that listen to our podcast. Uh, can you speak for, to a few moment, uh, for a few moments to pastors, uh, preachers, people in the pulpit about what are, in the culture that we're talking about today with these various challenges that we have, what would you recommend our our tact be, our uh, our you know, obviously our message is the gospel, but are, are you? would you be one who contends for more, um, like getting into the cultural nuances of the day and starting from there? Or are you just sort of a, like, just, here's the word of God, let's preach it? Yeah, I, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm in the middle. Um, here's the word of God, let's preach it. But, um, but let's, when we preach it, let's recognize that we're preaching to people who live in this world today now. And, and the Word of God always speaks to the contemporary context. It is living and active. It's not a dead letter. Um, so whatever you're preaching in, in any book, in any context, um, you, you, you are going to have an opportunity to address some kind of sin issue that's taking place in all of our hearts, taking place in the world. Um, those things ought to, for for ministers ought to come ought to naturally come up. What I would say is not as useful 
is to take a cultural problem and say, I'm going to preach on that cultural problem. This is why I think it's, um, and again, you know, there are discussions about this debate, but I think that, you know, the Lectio continuum, that the preaching from a book of the Bible moving along through that book, number one, helps people in the church to, to know their Bibles better. Number two, helps you avoid the temptation of just starting here, out here in the culture, and then trying to find a text to fit. But instead, you've got the text right there. And and believe me, it's going to address cultural issues as you move along. It just does. That's what Scripture does in, in, from Genesis to Revelation. So I would say preach the Bible and look for the opportunities to preach, as I say, apologetically. Um, Tim Keller in New York, this is the way he would say that he would preach on a regular basis. He's preaching to New Yorkers. He knows that culture well. And so he was able um, oftentimes, probably most of the time, uh, to bring in uh, cultural issues according to what the text itself says. He could address those things. So I think, again, if we have the Bible in one hand and news and you know cultural issues in the other hand, but we're preaching the Bible, it's going to apply itself to those cultural issues over and over and over again. Oftentimes, I think what we uh, – so this, again, general statement, not applying to everybody. What we sometimes don't recognize is that people in our churches really need um, confidence in their confession and profession of the authority of the Word of God and the centrality of Christ. And, 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 and we need to preach that over and over and over again so that as the culture imposes itself on us Monday through Saturday, uh, we recognize again on Sunday, oh, this is where I stand. This is what I believe. This is what I confess. There's no other place to be. And I think ministers, it's it's helpful if we recognize that in our people, that the pressures are coming. And it's not just the pressures of, should I affirm homosexuality? It's the pressures of, what about this sin? What about that sin? What about anger? What about adultery? What about worry and anxiety and depression? And the Bible addresses all of those things so that when we leave and we're out there on Monday, we're thinking to ourselves, Oh yeah, I'm trusting the Lord here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and even speaks to the issue. All of those all of those issues you just mentioned can be wrapped up in the in the word truth. Uh, you know, can, is this exactly. thing is this thing we're preaching? Is it the truth? And and can we know truth as 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 opposed to something that's just uh, like you said, we're we're just molecules that fell together randomly, uh, accidentally. Uh, there's no truth then, and this this gives us a basis of truth. How, uh, how long have you been a, a professor there at Westminster? I came here in 1991. Okay, yeah, 91. So you've seen you've seen some cultural shifts over that time. Would that be correct? Uh, yes. And, uh-huh. you, and uh, I don't want to throw any of your students, present day students, under the bus or have you speak critically of them. But is there a difference in the young uh, um, students that are coming now? than the ones that were there in the 90s? Yeah, I would say there are um, certainly some difference. Um, first of all, just to say, and I'm not just saying this, we, we just we routinely get just a, uh, an excellent group of students, and I'm, I'm thrilled for that. And we get students from all over the world. Westminster is uh, you know, known for having multiple countries represented in the classroom and then sending them back out. Uh, to those countries. But I, so that said, I would say, I would say overall, um, and this is a kind of an indictment on, on the American educational system. Students aren't as um, ready uh, to, uh, to, to deal with um, 
arguments and uh, even even to write cogent papers uh, today as they were 30 years ago even. Um, so I used to require a, a term paper in one of my classes and I had to stop requiring that because the papers were so bad um, one, uh, after a couple of years. And, and by that, I just mean, you know, they're, 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 they don't know how to set up an argument or how to move from one proposition to the next and the next one will follow and all those kinds of things. And um, I think, again, I don't want to necessarily just blame the students. I think our educational system has gotten so refined and so specific that we're, we're completely missing the big picture, which is let's let's teach students how to think, not teach students what we think. Um, and, and if you teach them how to think, uh, meaning, you know, back to the trivium, uh, uh, grammar and dialectic and rhetoric, if you just start with those three, grammar, dialectic and rhetoric, you're teaching them how to read, how to write, how to distinguish dialectic uh, rhetoric, how to speak those things in a way that hopefully is persuasive. Um, that's those are those are very important things for especially ministers uh, to be able to grasp, and uh, and and students today aren't quite as adept at that because of their past education. Not the case in all of them. Uh, so it's it's a general statement, but um, so there's that. And then I think um, you know you, you do see there are debates in, in some of the churches represented in our student body. There are debates about the extent uh, to which uh, someone can be attracted to a same-sex uh, person and, and still be um, Christian and maybe even still be ordained. There are debates about that in some of the churches. That's affecting our students some because of those debates. Those, th- those weren't even on the radar in 1991 or 1995. Um, and now they're not only on the radar, but they're being uh, promoted and promulgated uh, in the churches. And so it's, it's important, and I deal with Romans 1 in all my classes, it's important to try to talk about those things in the way that scripture does. And, and hopefully students will, will draw a biblical conclusion. Wow. Yeah. Have you ever, uh, I read a book a while back. I can't remember the author's name, but it was taken off the, you know, back in the fifties in the schoolhouses, they, they, they asked the question, why can't Johnny write? Or why can't Johnny read? Yeah. And this guy wrote a book called, why can't Johnny preach? I don't know if you ever heard of that book or not. Uh, but it's, have, it's, yeah. it's addressing kind David of, Gordon. Ah, right. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of, it's kind of addressing some of the same issues there that it's, that, that it's not a, like a, a, an issue of how to train ministers, but it's, it starts like at first grade, second grade, fifth grade, uh, you know, and uh, for me, you know, when I read, and I'm sure you've read them as well, like I read somebody like Spurgeon or John Owen, the command of the English language and the ability to, to, create an argument i mean not only scholarly but but the legal mind almost just point one point you know there's 50 points to prove one scripture there's the 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 mind that has to have the patience and the fortitude to to dig into that it's you know and now we're you know unfortunately it's all you know what what can you get in a in a twitter you know or or a a lot of preaching today i'm not trying to be critical here but you know it seems like the preachers are looking for that one phrase that could be quoted you know, it's like, uh, you know, right. we don't need a revolution. We need a reformation, you know, and just different little catchphrases that, that lack the depth. And um, and I just that's why I was curious to ask that question. Uh, are you challenged more yeah. to create that depth in a student? Because I'm sure you're, they're not going to leave Westminster the same way they came in. So you're going to create that sense of depth and uh, scholarly language studies. And uh, so, so, it's, yeah. so, so it's not hopeless by any means. Not hopeless by any means. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of my mentors, uh, 
told me one time, no, no Christian has a right to be a pessimist. And I think he's <laughs> yeah. exactly right because Amen. the Lord is on the throne and he's, and he's ruling and, and nothing's happening outside of his sovereign rule and control. But, you know, when I was, when I was in pastoral ministry, um, I used to teach a few Bible studies and, and even in the church, what I would, uh, people would say, you know, what, what should I read? Invariably, I would say, uh, some older book. So I would say, well, have you read the Institute? Oh, no, that's for theologians. Well, as a matter of fact, it was written for the church. So um, it's it's worth picking it up and, and seeing what Calvin does with scripture and how he navigates that. You mentioned John Owen, probably not a better Puritan mind uh, available to us. And, and you know, he was effectively homeschooled. And, and he, he under, so he got the grammar, he got the dialectic, and he got the, the rhetoric. And you get those sorts of things, and now you're able to produce 24 volumes, you know, eight, eight volumes on Hebrews alone. And, and you can do that because you've, you've majored on the majors. Our educational system doesn't do that. And, and if you go through that system, which I did, you find out, I really haven't learned that much. You kind of have to start over. But you can start over. You know, you can begin... Put, you know, put your nose into John Owen and read a section of him, not the whole thing, and you'll be a new person by the time you, you your nose gets out of that. It's just worth the time and effort to get into his mind and begin to think the way he thinks. And sometimes it takes a little bit, but once you get the rhythm of it, it's just gold. You just it's like you don't want to read anything else. Yeah, yeah. I heard one preacher say, you know. We try to sometimes in the pulpit break things down to this the most simple common denominator, something everybody can applaud and understand. And he said in his preaching, he would try to go a little bit above his audience just to stretch them a little bit, to take them, you know, and I think Owen and, and those writers, uh, the Puritan writers particularly, yeah. will stretch you. I'll read, you know, 20 pages of Owen and my wife will ask me, what'd you read? I, I have no idea what I just read, but I'll go back and read it. Ag- <laughs> I'll go back and read it again and there'll be a nugget in there. I'll go like... That that is world changing. That is that is heart, you know, palpitating. This this moved me deep, you know, almost to right. tears, and uh, and then you go yeah. and you go back and read it a third time, and all of a sudden it all falls into place. You know, William Grinnell does that right. with the, uh, the the about the armor of God. You know, it's just you know what is yeah. that one or two oh. verses, and uh, just you know, and so you know, thank you for the That's diligent, the way to do it. Yeah, thank you for the diligent work you're doing, students. One of my good, good friends who used to work with us here at World Challenge uh, graduated from there. And I think he's on your staff, David Fernandez. And uh, David. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, David, man, every time I good talk. Man. Yeah, every time I talk to him, he's like, send more students here because they're, they're doing the job. And men like, <laughs> men like you are, are, are making that happen. So th- thank you. And your books we'll have in our show notes for the podcast today. We'll have Dr. Oliphant's books listed there and where you can obtain those. And also uh, Westminster uh, website. Uh, some of your material is available there as well. Uh, I, I noticed you had a few videos uh, as well there. Um, anything? Any other way to get in contact with you? Uh, do you do like a? Do you have a? Do you have YouTube or anything like that? Or uh, you know, I try to stay away from most of that. Okay. Um, there, there's a there's a faculty contact page. You know, with my email address, and I, I try to get to those yeah. uh, when I can to to those emails. Okay. Uh, but you know, the best way to get in talk, contact is just come on out and and study here, and we'll be happy there you to go. have you in the classroom. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm envious of those who get to do that. Well, God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I just loved our time together. It encouraged me and challenged me. So, And I know that'll be the same for our audience. Th- thank you again. I loved it too, Gary. Thanks for having me. I know you enjoyed that conversation we have with Dr. Oliphant. So grateful that he challenged us, encouraged us, and as the Bible says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. 
I wanted to pause and take a moment just to invite you to check out one of our new resources. It's a new book called Fire in His Bones. It's 50 of the most powerful sermons preached by my father, David Wilkerson. Over his 50 plus years of ministry and preaching, he touched many lives. He uh, brought some messages that were really shaking nations. And we've compiled these into one book and we believe it's going to really bless you, encourage you. You can pre-order it at Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, other places. You can pre-order it right now. We want to encourage you to do so and get that book as soon as it comes out. We'll have it available at World Challenge as well. You can go onto our website, and that book will be available soon. But not only that book, but also many other resources. We are here to help equip the church. We are here to encourage you, to bless you. We believe we live in perilous times. We believe we live in difficult times, and there's a culture and spiritual declension in our nation. But we don't believe that that's the last of the story. We believe God has a remedy, and we want to be a part of that. And our resources are designed to help encourage your faith and help bring change and transformation to our nation. Hope you enjoy these things. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in the mission of World Challenge. Thank you for listening and supporting. World Challenge transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Visit us online at worldchallenge.org.